welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. When you look into the research and the science of insider-outsider dynamics, and particularly the idea of the intersection with neuroscience, the social brain in a, in a sense, you will come across a name that you will see over and over in the literature and um, and in on the speaking circuit around this, uh, which is the name of Valerie Purdy Greenaway. Valerie has been a a great friend, a collaborator on uh, a number of different projects. And it's a great pleasure for me to share this conversation I've had with her as part of the Inclusive Leadership Institute. Valerie is a social psychologist. She teaches at Columbia University, has done um, speaking at TED conferences and so forth, and also runs the lab on intergroup collaboration and relations. So um, her expertise is incredibly powerful and relevant to the art and science, particularly the science of inclusive leadership. So here is my conversation with her. So thank you, Valerie, for, for making time for this conversation. And I always ask people first, what do they do? <laughs> so in other words, I'm going to ask you, what do you do? <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, first of all, I am absolutely delighted to um, be in conversation with you. You are one of my favorite people uh, in the whole world. I am a professor of psychology. I've been a professor for um, about the past 18 years, and that actually encompasses uh, many different roles. So um, first and foremost, I, I teach so I uh, teach a course, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in Organizations. Um, that I teach at uh, Columbia Business School at Columbia University in uh, the city of New York. I also teach a class called um, Cultural Psychology, and I teach that in the Department of Psychology uh, at, at Columbia. So I spend a lot of time um, teaching about culture, diversity, intercultural processes, and how do people thrive in organizational um, contexts. As part of being a professor, I'm also uh, a research scientist. So I have um, a research lab. And in that lab, we uh, conduct empirical research that is the underbelly of diversity and equity inclusion. So I do everything from um, research on diverse teams to implicit bias to looking at the functional anatomy and parts of the brain that are uh, linked to uh, empathy. You know, I, I have a whole nother program of research on philosophical thinkers and how do you teach philosophical thought to a new, young, diverse audience, um, intersectionality, identity. So we kind of cover uh, just about uh, as many topics as you can think of in the space of DE&I using um, experiments and interviews. Uh, and then also as, as part of being a professor, um, I do a little bit of consulting and helping um, companies and organizations think strategically about um, DE&I uh, when asked to do so. Um, so as a professor, it sort of en en encompasses many, many pieces. I stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> Not only many pieces, but it's an incredibly rich, you know, spectrum that you cover, and especially a spectrum that 
I don't think many people can cover, you know, I mean, there are people who can certainly teach courses in business schools, but, but they're oftentimes disconnected from the research that, that underpins a lot of this and, or, or the psychological aspects that need to be considered. And so I think you're bringing a, I mean, a wealth of experience, knowledge, expertise to, um, to, to this topic of DEI. And certainly also that that whole idea of inclusive leadership, which is fantastic. Well, you know, it's funny that you would say that. I, I can appreciate it as you're saying it, but the there's a longer story. But the shorter story of, of why my research is so broad is uh, I was uh, trained as a psychologist, as a social psychologist. And so what that means is that I was trained in my, my PhD is in trying to understand how the social context and social surroundings around us affect um, our behavior. And within that domain, um, my dissertation research was in the world of education. And uh, I have spent a lot of time doing research on closing opportunity gaps between members of underrepresented groups and uh, minority uh, majority groups in education. I've done a lot of research on everything from what is the image that uh, young people have of scientists and how do we change those images. Um, and so my research used to be very, very narrow and very, very focused in education and cognitive performance and test taking and how do you pr improve the performance and sense of belonging for underrepresented students. And what happened was about maybe eight or nine years ago, um, I'm happily doing this, this research and um, I started realizing from uh, companies and organizations calling me saying, well, can you tell us what you know about belonging in schools and does it actually apply in organizations? And can you tell us about the images of that young people have of scientists and how does that shape maybe stereotypes that people have of leaders? And it was really many companies and organizations that pushed me to say, hey, a lot of this research on how young people thrive, especially young people who have some kind of identity that is marginalized or excluded in some way, that that holds relevance in organizations. So, and, and these days I still have my fingers in the pie, if you will, in terms of research and education, um, but, but it has really pivoted um, uh, also to, to looking at organizations because the, the processes are not identical but they are similar and there's a, a comparison that can be made. Absolutely. And and I love and I love this actually because it, it is is transportable, but not exactly the same, as you said. And but in the focus in organizations is is interesting as well, because very often it's the organizational context or the, the corporate context within which that behavior takes place. And you know, and, and I think that's what fascinates me about what you do is that. You know, you take that that core idea that behavior is contextual, and um, and then we need to learn about how how what is that interaction between behavior and context, and then apply it in different contexts. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, I have learned so much. I I have uh, a lot to, to offer when I when I engage with with organizations, but I've also learned so much that. You know, just because you have some scientific discovery that you think is going to change the world, if you can't figure out 
how to share it in a way that's digestible to others, it's not going to help people. You have to meet people where they're at. You can't just um, say, well, I'm a scientist and therefore, you know, the burden is on the organization to learn what I do. It really is much more um, synergistic. And I, and I've uh, come to appreciate that and, and value that all uh, just much more over time. Yeah, that's great. And I am really excited that you're bringing all of that to, to our Institute here. But what I also ask everybody is, you know, what is it in your biography, in your background that that actually drew you into doing what you're doing? Yes, <laughs> that's that's really the question. I just turned 50 years old, so that's a very long biography. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that long, Valerie. But uh, um, I, I think there are a, a few, I say, inflection points uh, in, in my life. I mean, one is that um, my, my mother uh, was a school teacher. She's now retired uh, happily at the age of, of 86. Um, but um, she was a cool school teacher uh, uh, here in, uh, in the United States, in, in New York, on, on Long Island. She was a third grade school teacher. And so um, I grew up going to school, but also in, in her classroom. So I always wanted to be um, a teacher. And I learned how to teach at a very young age. And I have very distinct recollections of putting together lesson plans when I was in first grade <laughs> and doing little lessons with my friends. And, and so, and so that the, the teacher part, I think com- comes from my, my, my mother. Um, but, but also, you know, I identify as, uh, you know, she, her in terms of pronouns, I'm, I'm African-American, but, but my background is, is, has always made me um, feel a little bit on the, on the outside in multiple different dimensions. So we were one of the first African-American families that integrated a neighborhood on, on Long Island in New York. And it was a hundred percent Italian neighborhood. So I, I grew up in an Italian neighborhood and um, that comes with its own um, complexities of being an African-American family in, in an Italian neighborhood. Um, I, I also um, am very tall, which which now is wonderful because as it turns out, as you get older, you start to shrink. So it's good to start off on the taller side <laughs> as your spine starts to shrink a little bit. But um, I'm very tall. And then so I've always... I remember learning at a really young age. Um, I grew up in the era of of Madonna when everyone had ruffles. And when you're, you know, five feet tall, ruffles are very um, cute. When you're six feet tall, ruffles don't work so well. And, and, I, and I learned in a very early age that things that work for me, for me don't work for other people and vice versa. So I had to figure out my own style. And then, you know, intellectually, um, I've always cared about um, inequality, and um, and I grew up going to um, a public school, and literally, you know, they didn't call it tracking, but the students were tracked. Where the students that were college bound literally took classes on the third floor, which is the top floor of the school. Students that had a more vocational focus were in the middle floor and and students that were really um, tracked to either not even graduate from high school were on the first floor. And and so very early on, because of the sports that I always enjoyed, I played basketball, I did volleyball, I, I always was mixed with all of the other kids after school. During the day, we were all on our separate floors. And all of these experiences, being a teacher, growing up in an Italian neighborhood, but being a Black family, like just really seeing um, inequality, and not only inequality, 
each floor had a different, had a, had a skin color to it. So most of the kids on the third floor were white American and most of the kids on the, on the second floor were um, uh, Latinx and, and, and African-American. And then the third floor was almost all African-American. And, and, you know, and then you start to ask yourself, you know, why is that? Um, and so why is that A? And B, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, it's it's not us kids. It's something about the school that is sorting us into these into these categories. And then the last thing, which which uh, has endlessly frustrated my mother, is that I just happen to be nosy. And when I teach um, research methods and I teach um, psychological methods, what makes a good scientist is someone who is endlessly curious. And they just ask why, why, why. And so I was that kid who uh, was like why, 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 why. And uh, now I have a daughter who does that, and I, I was how frustrating that is. <laughs> um, but if if you want me to get intrigued, just say because I said so, and. Um, then <laughs> I'm, I'm off to the races. Well, why, why, why? why? Um, and and that's what a scientist is. So I I bring all of those experiences that has have always made me feel a little bit like an outsider myself, and it's always made me want to kind of understand those experiences, but also in in a structural way, in a way to try to say, are my experiences unique to myself? Or do people in other countries, in other cultural contexts, and have other experiences? Does that same kind of outsiderness? Do we share something in common? And and that's the tool of psychology. So it's interesting that I'm a psychologist, but when I look back, um, those sets of experiences I think put me in a position where where I just I think understanding the human mind in the context that we find ourselves is endlessly fascinating. What I find fascinating is that you retained all of these qualities, right? Because many people um, lose them, you know, or they are literally trained out of you, right? Or educated out of you. But not only did you retain them, you made a profession out of it, which I love. <laughs> that is so. That is so true. That that is so true. And 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 we're we're having this conversation uh, now at the at the edge of end of of July, beginning of August. And so for a professor, this is our what I call expansive intellectual time, where you can literally read and think whatever you want. And and one of my favorite um, subscriptions is the London Review of Books because you open it up and you just, you literally never know what is going to be in there. And and so I, I love to think expansively, but I also love to think about, you know, what is it that that people share in common, even whether it's in their suffering or in, in their joy, and how do we bring structure and make sense of it? And, and that's what a, a, a psychologist does. And what I've seen you do, um, you make it very practical as well. And that's, I think, when we when we are tackling these compl really complicated things um, of diversity, belonging, equity, um, inclusiveness, and how we lead through this. You know, it's at the end what what people really want are, is practicality in a way. I mean. Not everybody is that scientist. Not everybody is that intellectually curious, but everybody is struggling somehow in their lives with these challenges. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think that 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 sort of comes back to the, you know, I, I grew up in a, you know, you categorize it economically as as, as disadvantaged, um, but but we never thought of ourselves in, in that way. But, but one thing that you do learn is about, you know, you have to be... Um, practical and pragmatic. And if you want to help people, help people. 
there's a way in, in which I do work hard to take concepts that could be complicated and sometimes esoteric and say, how do we boil it, boil it down to make, to make it practical and useful? Um, uh, I, I'm not always successful, but I try. Well, and this is the point, right? I mean, we are dealing in an area that is extremely human, but it's also very much at the frontier of what it means to be human, right? When, when we think about transcending divisiveness or categories that around which we have organized and what you describe around your school, right? These, these different levels, you know, it reminded me actually of going to school here in Germany where you didn't have all of that in one building where at age of um, 11, your parents essentially decide are you the, the university track? You go to one type of school. Are you more of a vocational person? You go to another school. And are you more in the middle than there is another school? But they're not in the same building. <laughs> you know? So you, you, you grow up blissfully uh, ignorant of that there are very different realities and, and structures that force this inequality on you. That is, and, and, you know, you and I talk about this all of, all of the time, but, you know, I, I think what, what continues to intrigue me, but also worry me is how important the structure of a given situation guides and organizes how people think and feel, A, and B, how little people appreciate that. And what, I remember one of my you know earliest, earliest classes, we spent an awful lot of time talking about where people sit in a movie theater. And I remember thinking this could not be sillier, uh, but but the point of the exercise was to talk about the organization of the seats and how it makes you sit up front and, and you know face forward and and minimizes conversation and how um, you know when people like each other they sit next to each other but when they're like new friends they might sit a seat apart and you know but it's it's all about how the structure of the seating organizes what you're supposed to do there. And just like the levels in my school or actually going to different schools, you now have a structure in place that says who you're going to be in 40 and 50 years from now. That's extraordinary. I mean, that's extraordinary to think that that young people have it all worked out at, at 11. But yet many organizations are are designed that way. And, and we now see um, companies are reckoning with that. In some ways, you know, with with respect to COVID, you know, can you really work productively um, from home? But but also in the context of of DE and I, how do you get different ethnic groups, cultural groups, you know, people that that may historically have, have thought of each other as on opposite sides of of, of different ideas to actually work to, together? It is the question of our lifetime, and I suspect it'll continue to be so beyond our lifetime i think if we if we want to also tackle the the really big challenges we face as a as humankind in a sense right that's that that's a that's a key capability yeah i see being a scientist as a incredible um privilege and i see it as uh an incredible um responsibility to do something to to just you know, to, to do something, to bring some some organi organizational thought and, and ideas uh, into those really, really those conversations of, of our lifetime. And so this is why I continue to, to do what it is that I do.
I mean, thank you for for giving us a little peek into what motivates you, because I've always found this is really important to understand, you know, what what drives people, what motivates them to do what they do, Um, because there is so much information, important information that is revealed in that as well. So as as we are bringing at least this part of the conversation, you know, to a close, I'm just wondering out of your research or out of your practical experience, are there like one or two things that you 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 think are really practical that that anybody who is listening could apply and 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 make a difference with that? I, th- I think that there's a there's a few things. So in the world of diversity and equity and and inclusion in in organizations, I, th- I think I'll I'll sort of continue along the thread that 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 we were talking about, which is that it is, if you really want to understand why someone is behaving the way they're behaving in your organization, look at the context first and, and then look at their you know, personality features and characteristics second. I find it endlessly fascinating that um, companies spend millions and billions of dollars with all sorts of personality tests to try to understand what is it about the person that motivates them? And what we know from um, the science that I do, for, for instance, the implicit incentive structure that you put in place, not just, not just how you pay people, but, but again, what are, what are the drivers? What are the assumptions that you're making that, um, that make people want to work every day? Looking at how your organization is set up to incentivize people, to motivate people, to drive people or not, is a much more important um, factor in understanding why people do what they do. And and I, I you know I've I've been in hundreds of of companies, many many of them with you, Jorg, and and people say, oh, that's too hard to to tackle. <laughs> but you cannot have a conversation about diversifying your organization without rethinking about what your organization is and what you're trying to to do there and 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 so that the synergy between your processes and structures and policies that is the driver of what motivates people and and I think that that's that is something that I, I cannot emphasize and the reason why it's practical is because we're oftentimes looking at the the wrong end of the telescope yeah. <laughs> We've seen this a number of times, right? But it's such good advice, you know, context first. And it's so hard, right? Because it feels so elusive to many people, but it is it is actually phenomenal advice. Yeah, It feels um, elusive, but um, it's actually not because you can, because an, another piece of advice, you know, you could start small. I mean, I, I've worked with companies that, um, said, okay, we're just going to work on reimagining um, our promotion structure. Um, we're going to reimagine our um, when people leave. You know, how do we coach them um, out? All of those things are contextual um, features of of an organization. You know, you don't have to boil the ocean. You can start small and and focus on one thing for for a sustained um, period of time. Um, but we're really not going to make progress on the the I part of inclusion or the E part of um, equity um, if we don't really think seriously about the D, the diversity, who is there, and then who is that organization 
built for? Um, you know, th that is the question of the decade. Who was your company designed for and, and how do we need to redesign it? Valerie, I am so excited, um, you know, to work with you in this institute. And thank you for spending these minutes here, you know, to just explore your work and introduce your work to everybody else as well. So thank you. <laughs> That's oh, all I can say. <laughs> you are so welcome. I It is my absolute. Uh, anytime you call, I say there's going to be an exciting and impactful adventure. And I want to be, you didn't know this, but you have a York train. I want to be on the York <laughs> train. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm just so I'm thrilled and, and, and honored to be to be part of the Inclusive Leadership Institute. So thank you so much. The honor is certainly mine. <laughs> Thanks, Valerie. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com. Mm -hmm.